0: Well, good morning, church. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, You could be doing a lot of things on Sunday, and you chose to be here, and I'm really grateful for that, and I know that um, the people around you hopefully are grateful for that because this is what the body of Christ is all about, coming together to refocus our hearts in this Advent season as we prepare to celebrate celebrate Christmas. Hey, who loves Christmas? Raise your hand. I'm right there with you. And we're gonna talk a little bit about Christmas today, of course, as we lead into it. Um, But we're in the second week of Advent, which is all about peace. And peace is something that I uh, attempt to find in an average week. And there's one day in particular that I look forward to that brings me peace, and that is Fridays. Does anybody agree with me? Fridays bring you peace, or hope, or joy. For me, it brings peace, and there's three things. Now, Friday is, is maybe a little different for me. Friday is my day off, and so there's three things that make up Friday, or that I keep consistent on Friday to make sure that it is a day of peace for me. The first thing is I go on a walk with my dog, Marlo. Sometimes that's a long hike, sometimes it's just a walk around our complex, um, but I go on a walk with Marlo. The second. Thing Thing is I go to a coffee shop for a little bit. And then the third thing is I clean the house. And these three, these three things work together to create peace. But let me give you a, maybe a more authentic look of what that actually looks like. So when I wake up in the morning, the very first thing that I do is I'll go to a local coffee shop. I'll grab whatever book I wanna read and I'll spend a few hours reading, drinking my Copa Fropa Latte Caramel Cappuccino drink, some, you know, frou-frou drink and enjoy it. Some of you might not call that coffee. Um, And as I read my book, I enjoy that time. That brings me peace. As soon as I get home from that, we go on our walk. We go on our hike, my dog and I, and I love that time outside. I love that time with my dog. It's just peaceful for me. But that only takes up about half of the day. Uh, Then I continue to do miscellaneous things that I want to do, maybe errands or other things that I need to get done. Uh, And then, and then, at four o'clock, I get a call from my lovely wife, Hey, I'm on my way home from school. I will see you in a little bit. She's a fourth grade teacher at Monroe. And so she gives me a call to let me know she's on her way home. At which point I go into like hyper, super speed, superhuman Marie Kondo cleaning mode, and I clean the whole house and it's amazing. And I break a sweat, but that's okay because Faith's call is to let me know, oh no, I need to clean the house and so I go as fast as I can, doing as much as I can to clean the house because when Faith gets home, do you know what that does And she sees the house is clean? It brings peace into our home. (laughs) And so for some of you, maybe that's some advice. For others, just maybe you can resonate with me a little bit. But that brings peace into our home. And we're going to come back to that story in a little bit. But today what I want to talk about is peace. How do we, as God's people, experience and live out the second week of Advent called peace? And so we're going to come back to this silly Friday off peaceful story, Um, but we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3 today, and Scott already kind of alluded that what he read is going to, we're going to get to that point. There's a few things that I'll say stand in the way before we get to verse 14. But we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. So whether you pull up in your Bible or up on the screen or in your phone, whatever you need to do to follow along, we're going to be jumping in and out of the text. So that's why I encourage you to have it ready. Um, But also, if you know me, I'm... Some people call it overthinking, I call it structured thinking, but I'm a fairly structured thinker, and so if you are as well, if you're not, you can ignore the next 15 seconds, but if you are, um, here's kind of our outline for today. So after we read the scripture, I want to give you a text overview. This is everything around the text. What's going on with the people? What's going on in this time? So we'll do a text overview, and then we're going to do a theological reflection, which I can tell by the looks on your faces that you are so... excited about? Okay, not really, but I promise it's gonna be great, it's gonna be awesome and valuable. And then the next thing, we're gonna highlight a big question that Peter brings out for us, and this will kind of be our driving question, hopefully that you leave home with as well, so it's really important. I'll answer that, or Peter will answer that uh, in two ways, or a two-part answer, and then we'll conclude. We'll go home happy, go out to lunch and talk about, man, what a structured sermon. Man, that was awesome, and maybe for some of you, that'll give you peace. Maybe not. But hey, let's go ahead and start in our scripture today, which is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, that heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed that it's coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Keep in mind with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. This might feel like an obscure text for our Advent season, especially in Advent a week where we're talking about peace. It might feel a little off because Christmas, man, Christmas is warm and fuzzy and cozy and, At least I feel that way about Christmas. And, you know, we're expecting a passage where the shepherds by their flocks at night and things are hunky-dory, but this text feels more like fear maybe than it does joy and certainly not peace. And don't get me wrong, I I love the warmth, cozy, fuzzy feeling that Christmas brings me. Uh, My students might think I don't because I am a Scrooge until after Thanksgiving. And the only reason is Thanksgiving needs to be properly celebrated before we get to Christmas. It's the way the calendar's designed for a reason. And so, and my students know I won't I won't celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving, so much so that um, I gave Grace Cadell, who might be watching online right now, I gave Grace Cadell my car keys to get something out of uh, the car for me uh, and to bring it into the youth room. and. As I left youth group that night, I turn on my car. This was like November 2nd or something. What was blaring that she turned on the radio full blast Christmas music, knowing that it would drive me crazy. And no, I'm not a Scrooge. I just like to celebrate Thanksgiving. It deserves it before we get to Christmas. But this year, I broke my my life rule this year. I mean 2020 with how 2020 is going, you can't blame me. But Faith had convinced me, Jay, we need to set up for Christmas early this year. And so I was so desperate to feel the warm, cozy, fuzzy feeling that Christmas brings that we set up a week before Thanksgiving, our apartment with decorations, and I'm thankful for that and experiencing that. But the reason is, is because that's the, that's the feeling that Christmas brings. However, sometimes I feel that we get so caught up in this cozy, glowy season that we forget the fullness of what we're celebrating. Here's what I mean. Um, We're celebrating Christ coming to earth as a baby. Let earth receive her king the first time we see this Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem. But there's a second part to let earth receive her king. And that is the period that we find ourselves in because Jesus has already been born as a baby in Bethlehem. But Jesus is also coming again. We live in what I call this in-between time, or it's often referenced as the already but not yet kingdom of God, where we see fruit and uh, we see elements of God's kingdom at work but we don't see the fullness of God's kingdom here now. We live in this in-between time where sin and brokenness and destruction exist. but we are anticipating and have a taste of what the kingdom, when Jesus comes again, is going to fully look like when he makes all things new. We need to also, during Christmas, this is important for us, look forward to the kingdom that is coming. We're in this in-between time and it's important for us be and live in that Christian reality. And the reason we need to do that today is because this is the same way that the Christian recipients of this letter were also living. Jesus had been born, but they were waiting for Jesus' return again. Our readers were uh, roughly 2,000 years ago. This is, this is the context of the letter. But here's what I've noticed. I've seen more Facebook posts, news articles, headlines, heard more conversations, that this year the stars are aligning for Jesus' return. And I'll admit, it has been a year. I can say with confidence though, that the readers of this text the first readers of this text the audience of this text was 10 times more confident that jesus was going to return than maybe how you feel right now they were so convinced that jesus was supposed to turn return yesterday they were so distraught over the fact that Jesus had not returned. They didn't know what to do. They were so hung up. They didn't know if they did something that was their fault. They were so worried that they had done something wrong because Jesus had not returned yet. They expected Jesus to return so quickly that they didn't know what to do while they waited. They thought they missed it. They didn't know what to do. This is where Peter's message is addressing He's addressing the readers in this way, which is just really timely, that maybe the world feels like it's anticipating something similar, and so hopefully we can resonate with this a little bit. So what Peter does is he gives them answers. He gives them answers to their questions, and the answers that we're going to find today, they all revolve around this word called peace. Before we get to the heart of peace, there's some verses standing in the way of, before we hear even the word peace show up in the passage, there's some verses standing in the way, and this is the theological reflection part. And you're like, why, why are we doing a the- theological reflection? And the reason I'm calling it that is because I think theology's gotten a bad rap. Um, theology we've turned into just a mind thing, but you live your theology, You are your theology. That what you believe about God is how you live. For instance, if you believe that God hears and answers your prayers, you i would probably find you praying that's how you live your life if you don't think that that's how god would operate then you probably would not be praying and so how we understand god and our belief about god and our theology should and is and will be how we live our life so that's why theological this reflection is important because it's going to impact how we live out the rest of the scripture that peter is calling us to so i want to kind of give a big scope reflection on what in the world is Peter talking about here? And hopefully it'll drive our actions, not just our thoughts, as we continue on in the text. Second Peter chapter 3. And we're going to tackle head-on the maybe the more difficult verses within this text. Starting in verse 10, listen to this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it, it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. This text is often regarded with fear, with, I don't know, maybe anxiety, with worry, with question, but the argument I wanna make today is that this is actually a text that should bring us hope, a text of promise about the king that is coming that we can look forward to. Here's what I mean, um, the images of fire, the images of destruction, they might bring judgment to our minds, but in this context, it's not judgment. It's not the word I want us to get hung up on. It has more to do with being refined more to do with being refined. And we see this refining imagery actually all throughout Scripture that the fire that comes will refine the world. We see it in a lot of different passages, and they're going to pull them up on the screen Psalm 66, Isaiah 48, Jeremiah 9, Daniel 11, Zechariah 13, Malachi 3. Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians that when the fire comes, when Jesus comes again, that the earth and the world, that creation will be refined. And the reason this is so important for us to understand it is because refining has a different role than destruction does. Refining purifies. It makes righteous. It makes whole. It makes things new. If you put gold or silver into the heat of a fire, what does it do? It burns the bad evil negative elements of that metal and it purifies what is good what is whole what is actually gold that is what the refining work of jesus will do when jesus comes um, dr eric Vail in his book on eschatology he actually says this what comes out on the other side referring to on the other side of the fire when godlessness is eliminated is a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is what will happen when Jesus comes again. This is what we get to look forward to. But I want to continue a little bit. When Jesus comes, the earth won't be destroyed by fire. It will be refined by fire, and it's going to leave behind what is pure. More specifically, the earth will be laid bare... Like, why bare? Why will it be? That almost sounds a little bit like how it was in the beginning in Genesis, right? It will be laid bare because it will be prepared for God's recreative work to see all things new, which is a beautiful picture of the, create, of the kingdom of God. In Matthew and Luke, you see this pattern when the weeds and the chaff, they burn away, leaving behind the wheat leaving behind what is pure. And John, when the unfruitful branches are burned, what's left behind, the vine, is left behind to grow and produce the good fruit. And the reason I love this imagery, and I kind of just alluded to it before, that the earth being laid bare, that's, that's how God began this World and created the world out of nothing, void, darkness, and boom, we have earth, and we see paradise, we see this new creation, we see the garden of Eden without sin, but then sin enters the picture. And what you see about God, this is important theological understanding about God, is that God never abandons his creation, but he always prunes and purges to recreate what God has already begun. That's a sign, that's evidence of God's love for us, that he doesn't just abandon this world and start a new one, which by the way, God's capable of, but God continues to use sinful, broken people to sprout new life and new creation. This is God's goal here. We see it with the flood. He kept Noah and the animals, right, who went onto the ark to restart a new creation. We see this in Isaiah, actually. We see this in Isaiah, with God's covenant people, they persisted in their sin, and God said that the cities will lie in ruin and the houses will be deserted. Which happened, but when you read into the text, what is left behind, with all of that purging, there will be a stump left over, a surviving surviving remnant for his people, for God to continue the work of new creation the fact that Jesus came as a baby, the fact that we received, that earth received her king, a holy God coming down to a sinful world shows that God is absolutely interested in us and being recreated into the new creation that God wants us to be. We are the elements that have the privilege of being refined by fire. Fire which is something that we can look forward to. Dr. Vail continues in his book, and he says that this, this won't be on the screen, but I do want you to listen. He says this, God is zealous to make creation the sanctuary that God intends it to be for its own sake of having abundant life in the glory of the Lord. But first, and he's referencing Revelation 11:18 here, the earth must be cleansed of those who do not repent of the destruction that they do on the earth. There's a reason Jesus rose from the grave, and the first thing that we find him doing is gardening. Have you ever thought that was interesting? The first thing we see Jesus do is gardening. And when Jesus comes again, we will see the same restorative work, but at a much, much larger scale. And that's through God's refining fire in our lives, which is something that we can look forward to. But here's the thing, we don't actually live in this new creation yet. That when we talk about when Jesus comes again and things will be right and holy and pure, this is where righteousness will dwell and things will be like they were in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, right? We will see this restored creation. We actually don't live there yet. As I mentioned earlier, we live in between where we experience brokenness, we experience sin, but we, we also get taste of what God is doing and what God wants the world to be. We live in the already not yet, kingdom. So this leads to our big, big question. And it comes in verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? I want you to sit on that question for a second. If, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? How ought we to live as people waiting for Christ to return? If Jesus is coming again to make the earth new, to, to move us towards this new creation, and to, for us to experience that righteousness and refining work, how are we supposed to live? Well, unlike the theological reflection that I just took us through, Peter just shoots it straight. You're welcome. And it comes in verse 11. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed that it's coming, since you are looking forward to this, you see the hope and anticipation, this is something that we can look forward to. Since you're looking forward to this, this is what Scott read, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You ought to live holy and godly lives. But then Peter zooms in a little bit of what this looks like which means making every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And every time I read it, I can't get over those three words. Those three words are like impossible to skip in this passage, making every effort. And what I love about this, this actually only shows up one other time in the entire Bible, at least how it's written and described this way. You might see this phrase, but it doesn't in other passages, but it only actually shows up in one other way with it carrying the same breath and width that it does in this moment. Because when Peter says make every effort, he doesn't mean pour all of your effort into one moment in time or one specific thing, but he is saying in all things, in all ways, in all actions, in all conversations, in everything that you are and be and do, you should be found this way. It's kind of overwhelming what Peter is asking us to do, that everything that we should do, all of life's moments, should reflect the qualities that Peter is telling us to lean into, which is to be found spotless and blameless and at peace in him, which some of those, those descriptive words, they make, they make sense. To be found spotless and to be found blameless, do you know what that means? that all blemish and imperfection is no longer there. Hey, guess what, that's what God is going to do when Jesus comes again, that he would purify us, refining us with fire, that we would be made new. So Jesus is saying, hey, you're in the already not yet kingdom. Go ahead and start living that way. That's that's Peter's invitation. So spotless and blameless makes sense. But peace, peace is the different one, where I feel like he could have said, and love people well, or and be joyous all the time, or and always live with hope. But he chooses, not any of those Advent angles, but he chooses this Advent angle, to be at peace with him. And I thought this was strange. But then when you think about it, the reason we should make every effort to be found at peace with him is because when Jesus comes again, he will come as the prince of peace. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God." The message of Christmas music, what does it declare? Peace on earth. Scott Daniels, in that devotional, the Advent devotional that many of you are going through, he actually says, if the message of the first coming is peace, then so is the message of the second coming. Peace is a primary quality and characteristic of our King Jesus. Now, this next statement, this is more of my opinion uh, and less biblical research, so I don't know uh, what category of, you know, if that should be valuable to... To you or not, but I'm going to tell you this should be valuable. Here's, here's my opinion about all of this and why I think peace is in this text for Peter. Do you know what is most prominent in our culture and our world right now? Pretty much everything opposite of peace. Anxiety, disunity, depression, disarray, discouragement. Everything that is opposite of peace. Everything in this category, the sinful brokenness category, opposite of peace, is what we find in our world right now. And I think when peace, the prince of peace comes, there is no, without a shadow of a doubt, it will be a new creation because we won't know what to do when we experience the fullness of Jesus' peace in our lives. There's nothing that is greater than that. There's nothing that is better than that. And when Jesus comes again, that is what we will get to experience. That is what the world will be refined by and get to experience is that kind of peace. And it is so foreign to so many people today. People are craving, craving peace. You might not have understood, but me setting up for Christmas a week early is a big deal, folks. I was craving that warmth and comfort and peace, and, and that helped. But it doesn't compare to the peace that we experience in Jesus. Here's another important attribute to this, though. The refining peace that we want to experience in Jesus is not reserved for when Jesus comes again. It's not only capable of happening, okay, when Jesus comes, then we will get to experience that. But hey, folks, because we live in the already and not yet kingdom, Jesus is saying, look, you can experience my peace now. By living holy and godly lives so that you may be found spotless, blameless, and at peace in him. We can experience the peace of Jesus now amidst the brokenness. The reason Scott can stand up here and give that testimony is because the peace of Jesus is real in his life. We can experience that now in spite of our brokenness. In spite of the sinful world that we live in. That testimony is perfect for us today. What kind of people ought you to be? We ought to live holy and godly lives, making every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now here's the second part of this answer, and it comes in verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom, God gave him. The readers were convinced Jesus, he was supposed to be back yesterday. Why in the world hasn't Jesus come back? What am I supposed to be doing? What have I done wrong? What am I to do while I wait? Let's go back to Fridays with Jay. That's a good, that's a good place, peaceful place to be. So, I get the call at 4 o'clock. Faith is on her way. And that's, that's the only thing I need to hear. I'll, I apologize. This is a confession to my wife in front of hundreds of people. I don't hear anything else that she says. I try to end that conversation as quickly as possible because I need to get to work. Like, I have not done anything. The house needs to be cleaned. Here we go. Okay, thanks. Sounds good. Bye. And borderline rude so that I can clean the house. And when she gets home, oh, things can be at peace. But sometimes faith stops at the store. Sometimes faith... Gets gas for a car. Sometimes uh, she gets caught up talking to a coworker, and while it should take her 15 minutes to get there, sometimes it takes her much longer than that. But you, do you know what? I don't even. I don't think about that. I don't blink about that, and I just get to work. And I start. Well, I do what I like to do the most first when I clean. I. We'll pick things up so then I can do the most enjoyable cleaning project, which is vacuuming, like the lines and the vacuum and the carpet. It's just so satisfying. If you don't understand, just forget about it. But So I vacuum first, and then I clean the kitchen. And then if she's still not home, guess what? I don't stop and say, man, where is Faith at? What is, what is she doing? But I keep cleaning. I make the bed. I fold the laundry. I throw clothes in. I sweep the back porch. I continue to clean, not wondering Where is faith at? What is going on? But I continue to clean because all I know is that faith has said, I am coming home. And so I get to work and put every effort towards that because I want to do as much work as I can for when she gets home for us to be at peace. We don't know when the Prince of Peace will come again when earth will receive her king once again. To, a, to God, a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. But according to Peter, our waiting for this day is never intended to be passive. It is supposed to be active. God's saving work isn't done yet. The fact that Jesus has not returned yet is not so we have more time to do whatever in the world we want, to wait, to look at our clocks, to try to align the stars. No, our work is to share the peace of Jesus Christ with everybody around us because we live in a world that desperately needs it. Dr. Vail continues in his book on eschatology. He says, we long for Christ to return to put the final end to the destructiveness of sin and death in the world. You know, the good thing about when Faith gets home is I get to stop cleaning. <laughs> I give her a hug, we talk, see how the day went, talk about dinner. So that's good. I look forward to when she gets home. We long for Christ to return to put a final end to the destructiveness of sin and death in the world and to set things right. But right now, God is graciously holding open the door for repentance so we may remain faithful workers in the field. Peter gives us a two-part answer. And it's just like the two-part answer that comes when the question is asked, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says to love God, to love neighbor, right? Well, there's a two-part answer here as well. What ought we to do? Live, experience, and know the peace of Jesus, and help others find the peace of Jesus. Peter's message for us today is the same as Jesus' great commandment, except with a focus as peace, because when Jesus comes again, he will come as the Prince of Peace. We will be refined as God's good creation through peace. Band, you can go ahead and come at this time. I want this to be the last thing that you kind of hear today, and we're going to throw it up on the screen. Here's what I want you to know. Because we live in this already and not yet kingdom, we live in this period of what are we supposed to do where we are waiting for Christ to come, and as people who still await the return of Christ, we are to live as kingdom people now by being a people of peace now. That we... (laughs) Jesus does not want us when he returns to have not already experienced the peace of Jesus Christ. And we can do that now through our worship, through our devotions, through our life, through making every effort in all things to live holy and godly lives. We can experience that life now, but it's not meant to be hoarded for yourself or locked in a closet. That peace is meant to be shared to a broken and desperate world that is looking for for peace that's looking for peace, and so I hope, I hope that we all, as a community of God's people, can live out that kind of peace and experience that peace together.